Hey, we've got a unique treat for you today. Are you aiming to improve your practice? Or perhaps just an enthusiast fascinated by the intricacies of the dental industry? If you've ever found yourself intrigued by the critical numbers that drive a successful dental practice, or if you've pondered about how to take your dental business to the next level, we've got the perfect resource for you. Introducing Dandy's latest ebook, Dental Industry KPIs. It's your ultimate guide to the metrics that matter in dentistry. Now this insightful guide delves into the heart of dental KPIs, equipping you with the understanding to assess your practice's performance, enhance patient experience, and of course, boost your bottom line. Now knowledge, after all, is your strongest ally in the competitive world of dental services. So the more you know, the better you can steer your practice towards success. So go ahead in the show notes below, click on the first link in the show notes below and download your free copy of the ebook now. And Dandy's here to help you comprehend the importance of KPIs in the world of dentistry. So take the first step toward a more thriving, successful dental practice today. With Dandy, you're not just building a business, you're shaping the future of dental care. So go in the show notes below, click on the first link. Now the second link you see there, if you are interested in Dandy and their digital lab, then what you can do is click on that link and they're giving you an exclusive deal. They're giving all our listeners $250 in lab credits and a free scanner just for you. So you can check out more details on that exclusive deal by clicking the second link in the show notes below. And the first link is the free ebook. So go ahead and do that and check out Dandy today. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And today I'm speaking with Dr. Paul Etchison. I went through like this three month period of wow, everything's running so great. The practice, nobody's complaining. Nobody is upset about anything. I asked my assistant lead, I turned her my clinical lead down because she's kind of like the manager for everyone on the clinical side. I was like, dude, like, man, it just feels so good. Like there's nothing going on. She's like, dude, there's tons of stuff going on. She's like, do you want to know about them? She's like, you said you didn't want to know. And I said, gosh, if you think I need to know about them, she's like, I don't think you do. They're under control. And it was just like this liberating feeling of like, wow, the practice is always going to have issues. Somebody always has to deal with them but all of a sudden it didn't have to be me. Paul is the host of the popular Dental Practice Heroes podcast and an expert in dental practice management. And in this episode, we are really diving into the power of delegation and building a healthy, self-sustaining team. With two insightful books under his belt, Dr. Etchison shares his wisdom on empowering your team through autonomy and embracing the learning process, even when mistakes happen. And throughout our conversation, we explore the misconception of seniority as a measure of competence and how to find deeper meaning in the tasks we perform. And Paul also provides practical steps on fostering a collaborative environment where setbacks become opportunities for growth and improvement. And he sheds light on the significance of taking breaks and carving out time for ourselves, emphasizing how these moments are essential for recharging our creativity, which I agree 1000%. So get ready for a thought-provoking and transformative conversation with Dr. Paul Etchison. How's it going, man? Dude, it's going good. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. No, man, I appreciate it. You've been on the Monday morning marketing episode, and we're going to put a link to that in the show notes, but you were also on episode 300, Nelson Ridge Family Dental. Mm -hmm. 
You just sold, right? Not that long ago. I do, well, I sold, yeah, I, I sold to a, a DSO about two and a half years ago. So I'm still doing it. I'm still there. I'm still part of it. <laughs> but I, I, my, my part of it is a little bit different now, I guess, than it was in the past. But it's, it's good. I'm, I'm excited for the future. And, and I'm coming up on the end of my contract with them, but um, no intentions on leaving. So I'll be hmm. there for long term, which my team is happy to hear. Can we talk about like the terms of that? Like what, how much did you sell for and stuff like that or no? Um, no, probably not. <laughs> okay. Then why did you sell? Why did I sell? Um, you know, for me, it was coming out of COVID. I just like, it was so good just not have the practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and some people like missed the going to work. I didn't miss it at all. I, I mean, I thought I was like really like laid back and I felt like my leads were running a lot of stuff. And then when we shut down for 11 weeks and the practice went away and all the stress went away, it was just like, I just, this weight lifted. And then I, I said, when we come back, I'm doing things differently. I, I'm not letting this, I mean, it, it was just like this, I realized how much it was in my life, how much it was like taking over like my psyche and just like always occupying my mind. And, and then we came back from COVID and, and we had all these mess of other things to deal with, like regulations and, and we're still worried about the virus and stuff. But once things got back to business as usual, I said, hey man, I'm doing something different started exploring the idea of, man, do I, could I get, what kind of like money could I get for this practice? What does it make sense like financially long-term to do this? And then really coming to grips with the fact that, coming to grips with that, it wasn't so final. Like if I loved being a dental practice owner and I sold it and it was horrible and I hated the corporation and I just wanted my baby back and I just wanted to own my practice again, I could go and I can open another one. You know, so like that was like, Come full circle saying like, this is not as final as I think. It's just, it's a new chapter in my life. It's a new part. It was like, I did it right when I was 39. Right now I'm 41. And um, I, I'm not sure what the next 10 years are going to be about. But what's cool is that I feel like I'm finally doing stuff because I want to do it. And, and I know like me saying that I want to stay at the practice. I know I want to stay there. Whereas three years ago, it's because I have to. I mean, I own so much of it. Um, I own just a small percent. I, I can tell I own 15% this time. Um, I just don't know because I know they're always like doing new contracts. They don't like us sharing like the details of what we sold or what we sold. But, but right now I own 15% at this point. And, um, it's something that I still enjoy doing. And some people would say, well, 15%, is it really worth it for you to show up? I can tell you that I, I had to take three, four weeks off because of a hernia surgery. And then I got COVID and, and then I had a vacation mixed in there too, right before I got COVID and having a whole month off of work. I mean, it's great to get caught up on Netflix. It's great to read a lot of books. At a certain point, I was like, dude, this is like test out retirement and I don't like it. I want to go back to work. So this brings this whole different attitude when I'm at the practice now. Now, do I want to be there five days a week, four days a week? No, I don't even want to be there that. I'm like, I'm there like two, five and a half hour days a week. That's it. But that's, that's a comfortable level for me just to kind of stay involved, stay in it, uh, talk with my leads, run the practice. Um, see some patients and that's, that's, that's a good level for me. I don't want any more than that, but a lot easier to step back once you've sold a lot of equity because it's just not as much risk. But the way I'm living now, I could have lived it as a hundred percent owner. You know, I didn't need to sell to do it. I just had to sell to realize it. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think it's possible for someone to be like, I only want to do like two clinical days, three clinical days and do whatever I want after other days, right? Be with family and all that stuff. I mean, that's what I think a lot of people jump into ownership for not to be like, I want to work forever and do yeah. all this. It's more like I want to have an imprint on the community, but at the same time, I want to work less, call my own hours. I don't really, it doesn't always work out that way though. Well, I, I think you can, and you, you need to have leaders at the practice that are running things for you. And I had a leadership team long before I sold. Like I would say I had them like two and a half, three years before I established like in hygiene lead and assistant lead. I had my office manager 
an insurance lead. And essentially, like I said, man, before COVID, I'd be like, they do everything. But then once COVID happened, I was like, dude, I still do a lot. So after I sold and there wasn't as much incentive to really push production and grow the practice, even though we're still growing like crazy, then I stepped back and I said, hey, you guys know how I want to do things. Can you guys like, just like when there's interpersonal stuff, can you deal with it within your department and just come get me if you really, really need me? If something happens with the patient, can you guys just take care of it? Like I wouldn't, they're just like, I could totally do this. And then they did. And it was, it was just weird because I went through like this three month period of, wow, everything's running so great at the practice. Nobody's complaining. Nobody is upset about anything. I asked my assistant lead, I turned her my clinical lead now because she's kind of like the manager for everyone on the clinical side. I was like, dude, like, man, it just feels so good. Like there's nothing going on. She's like, dude, there's tons of stuff going on. She's like, do you want to know about them? She's like, you said you didn't want to know. And I said, gosh, if you think I need to know about them, she's like, I don't think you do. They're under control. And it was just like this liberating feeling of like, wow, the practice is always going to have issues. Somebody always has to deal with them. But all of a sudden it didn't have to be me. And I just kind of stepped back and I just trusted them. And I, like I said, I could have did that at 100% owner. It's a lot easier to do when you own 15% because the risk isn't there. If the practice crashes and burns, you know, um, it doesn't hurt me that bad. But at the same time, like if I did it as a 100% owner and it really caused a lot of issues, like I would have found out about it. I would have pivoted. I would have addressed it. It was just, I just think I was too scared to relinquish that control of something that was 100% mine. I was just, I couldn't let go and get out of the way. But once I did, man, that was the game changer. It was just getting out of the way and trusting my people who have been with me for a long time, who I trust, who have seen how I lead. And hopefully some of that has rubbed off on them and they do the right thing. And dude, it's never run so well. I'm just, I'm blown away by how well uh, of a job they're doing. They're just doing so well. Hmm. I like that. When, When you said, hey man, only come and get me when you really need me. What is that? Like, what, how do they know what is really needed, right? Kind of thing. Because yeah. it's like, you could be, oh, I don't want to bother Paul with that. I don't want to bother Paul with that. But in your mind, you're like, dang, I want it. That's embezzlement. I wanted to know that, right? Or, <laughs> yeah, I think it? that would be, that would be one. Um, I'm trying to think of some recent situations. Like, okay, I'll, I'll give you an instance that was pretty recent is we had an assistant that was uh, just a great person, great with the patients, uh, super cool to be around. But when they ran behind on the schedule, she would kind of lose it and just, just overwhelm and just certain behavioral things would come out in her that were just not appropriate. Um, just anger, you know, anger and frustration, just couldn't hide it. And um, my assistant lead, my, my clinical lead sat down with her and she had a conversation about it. Things got better for a little bit. She sat down and had another conversation about her, about it, what, like two, three weeks later when started, things started reverting back. And then she actually like wrote, documented this meeting. Like, this is what needs to change. This is your understanding that if this doesn't change, then... It's, this might be a termination thing. And then when it got to me, it was like, hey, I'm doing everything I can. This girl is just making my life just, every, I hear her name every two days. I hear something about her that she did. <laughs> She's like, I think we really need to start considering talking or letting her go. So then at that point, I had a conversation with her and things got better like they usually do for about two, three weeks. And then um, I had another conversation with her and it was, it was, it was hard because she knew I was having her conversation with her and she's like, Hey, I know what you're talking about. I know I need to change this stuff. I'm going to get better. Like da, da, da. she's like, you know what? This person, this, this, and this need to change. And I just had to like, cut her off. I'm like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Today's your last day. We just can't do it anymore. So that was, that was my involvement. I had to let her go. But I mean, other than that, it's like big stuff. Like right now we're dropping Delta. We just, we just sent a letter to Delta to get out of that network, coming up with some kind of ideas with the front desk. Why is the front desk? Why are people 
upset with who's doing what, how can we balance duties out? So it's all this interpersonal stuff. Like, like I walked up to the desk and, and somebody was rude to me and they responded rude. I don't deal with that no more. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can handle that. They handle the scheduling, they handle the off, the, when people are taking off the publication days, everything. They're the ones having the one-on-ones. They're the ones giving the raises. Um, I mean, with my permission, obviously. And yeah, I'm just, it's just, it's high level stuff. Like my high level right now where I'm at, where there's no noise. And I'm just saying, hey, we're working on getting out of network. That's what we're doing. We're getting on networks. We're at capacity. We need to get on networks. What are we doing? How are we going to organize the front desk to provide this experience? How are we going to train these people on the verbiages that they have to use to be an on-network dentist? How are we going to talk to patients about this? Let's organize what we're going to put on a mailer. So I'm just doing like stuff like that. But it's just so nice to get out of that noise of the interpersonal stuff, man, because we got 43 employees and there's always something. And I just sometimes I'm like, why can't people just be cool? Just be cool, please. Just why can't you just be cool? And it's just, it's not possible. You know, like it, there's always something going on. People are, um, everyone's got their emotional stuff and their own psychology and people have expectations that don't get met by other people and they're disappointed and, and people can be mean. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes you got to get involved in that. But um, yeah, for the most part, I'm not part of that. I'm, I'm doing the high level stuff, which is, it's so much fun, man. I love it. So it's, it's, it's part of the practice that I really do enjoy. Do you ever review it? Like when it comes to your, your leads, like, hey, we have a monthly review or a monthly, I don't know, meeting or whatever with just the leads. And we're like, okay. And then that's when you can kind of say like, Hey, that was a red, or do you give them red flags? Like this is when, when things should be brought up to me, right? Anything below that? No. Kind of things like that. You know, I never had to really do that because I think they, there was a part of me that was really like, kind of like, just take care of it. I don't want to know about it. And there was a part of me that was this kind of like miserable boss where they were almost scared to bring me stuff. So I think when it got to the point where I was like, Hey, just take care of it they had a pretty good idea of what I didn't want to deal with. And I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe I trained the people good. Maybe they're just wonderful people. It's really hard to say. I mean, they're definitely wonderful people. But um, I haven't had to set too many expectations with or what I want them to do. I mean, I told them what I want to do, but it's just been like little things here and there, like correction, like, hey, I want you to take care of this. You know, I want you to, I, I, this is what I want to happen. I don't care how you do it. Just what do you think? Can you run with it? And they're like, yeah, I'll run with it. And, and even like the people that aren't my leads, like my one, one of my assistants was like, I think we should get the coffee bar back because we took it away during COVID. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll get a churry, I'll find some like cabinet or something like this. And then it's like three weeks later, she's like, hey, where's the coffee bar? I'm like, dude, you know me. I, it's on my to-do list. I'm never going to get to it. Do you want to run with it? She's like, I'd love to. And then one day I just came in and there's a nice piece of furniture, fits the fridge right in it. It's all stocked. It's got the espresso machine. And I'm just like, dude, you killed it. This is awesome. Like I would have never... I wouldn't have did this. I would have stuck like a damn Keurig on like a stool or something like that, you know, and like, we're good. There you go, girls. You know, so it's, um, I think we really sell ourselves short and we don't realize how much our team wants to do if you give them the autonomy to do stuff. And, and I would just beg any listeners to try to say, hey man, like, what if I just, what if I let somebody run with something? And, what, and what's the worst that can happen? You know, you, maybe you have an upset customer patient. It's not going to crash your business. It was just nothing that happens within one week, one month, even that you do for three, four, six months is going to crash your business. I mean, to, to crash your business so that it burns completely, you'd have to really screw things up for a long time. You know, you'll have time to pivot and, and adjust. And, and sometimes they, I can't really think of any really main situations that's happened, but I mean, they're going to have situations where they kind of screw up and that's cool too. You know, I, I'm totally cool with that. I screw things up. Um, I handle situations not as gracefully as I would in retrospect sometimes, a lot of times maybe. I think it's just part of that learning experience and growing into becoming a leader, but it's 
man, my leadership skills grew a whole lot when I stepped in a leadership position. So if we want to build up the leadership people, like our, our leadership team and build them up, we got to get out of the way and let them step in that position. They got to get some bumps and bruises too. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. I think it's kind of difficult, especially at the beginning stages where you're like, your fingers on the trigger on everything, right? Like, it's like, this is my baby. Like, I need to yeah. watch everything. And you only have like one or two. So can I ask you if, if like somebody who had like, I don't know, three, four employees right now at the beginning, right? Starting yeah. up. And they're like, man, Paul, I want you to train me like you done it. And I want you to help me find leaders mm-hmm. so I can train them to be leaders just like you. Because I'm, I'm assuming like it's best to do that at the very beginning, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the set. This is who I want to find. Could you do that? Well, I, I would say if anyone's that small, I don't think you really need the leaders yet. I think you can like kind of get out of the way for some people in your team. I don't think it's established leaders yet. The reason I say that is because all of my leads were never my longest employees. In, in that position, like my assistant lead was not my longest assistant. My insurance lead was not the longest front desk person. Same thing with my front desk lead. They weren't my longest standing seniority person. So what we did is we got to a point, and this is what I would recommend to people. I probably could have did it earlier than I did it, but we got to a point, maybe like 12, 15 people where we started changing policies and how we were doing things. And it just kept coming up where someone's like, I didn't know we were doing it that way. I do. We talked about the meeting. Oh, I didn't make the meeting. Or it was like, oh, I didn't hear that. I didn't realize, oh yeah, I forgot. You know, it's just like, we started having all these communication breakdowns. And then, and I was always big on, I want to meet one-on-one with every single team member. At a certain point, man, that takes a long ass time. (laughs) We got like 15 people. That's why we established the leadership teams. And what we did is we had everybody do like a, you know, anonymous ballot. So we said, you know, nominate your top three people for front desk lead, for assistant lead. And we did like the ranked ballot system. So if like you were the first choice, you got three points. If you were some second choice, you got two points. Just in case like somebody was not everybody's first choice, but they were most, most people's second choice, they would get picked over. And then I took them home and I counted them. And there was part of me that was like, if they don't pick the people I pick, I'm just going to lie about the results and say this is who it was. Because I wanted them to own it, but they actually did. I mean, it was like, it was like unanimous. And the team knows who the leaders are. So I would say you got to get a little bit. I mean, you can't make a lead, lead assistant if you got two assistants because you got then you got the lead and the not lead. You know, I, I would think you got to get like three, four people in each department before you do it. Now, an office manager, I think that's a leadership position you could get right away. And that's somebody who you can trust and who can take care of the payroll stuff and can take care of stuff like knowing what people are making. Yeah, that was something that I did pretty early and I, I recommend doing that. And you know, like my office manager role, what she does now is very different than what she did like eight years ago. And I just had somebody ask me recently, like, did you have a job description for office manager? I'm like, no, like it just like over time, you just keep dumping things like, hey, man, like, can you take care of this thing for me every month? Yeah, I could do that. Cool. And it just frees up you like it frees it's, a, it's delegation and and you have to train them on it and um, they'll do as much as you allow them to, you know, and I, I think you got to get the you got to do the public blessing with the team. Like, Hey, this person was used to be your peer. Now they're, now they're, you know, they're stepping into a new leadership role. You know, we're all friends here and they're not above you, but they are going to take over a lot of stuff for me. And I want you to treat them as you would treat me the same respect. But yeah, man, it's, there's so many people that want their office manager and they, they hire, Hey, hiring office manager. And people say, Ooh, I got six years office manager experience. Dude, half these office managers don't know shit from shit. Like they're like, I don't mean swear. Nobody's, put them in a position to really lead and just kind of run with things and, and be a self-starter just because you know everything about insurance and you can present treatment plans doesn't make you an office manager. I would urge anyone who wants to do this to, to really just say, Hey, 
this is what I want this kind of, I want you to be this for the office. I want you to be able to handle disagreements between people. When an upset patient calls, I want you to take care of it and just, just make it right without asking me for permission. Like you don't need my permission and just go with that. And as time goes, they will evolve that, that role will evolve. But man, you're going to get some really valuable people, people on your team. And they're going to be valuable people that won't want to leave because they love their jobs. They love that autonomy. They love the role they're in. Um, we just got to, we got to allow them to have it. <laughs> okay. What policies did you start changing when you started like miscommunication and things like that? Oh, I don't remember what it was. It might've been, I, th- I think the big one was with ortho is that we, just so we didn't forget to send the Ceph out, we started putting the models in a bin on my desk so that I could pull the models out, write up the diagnosis and pull the Ceph up so that I didn't forget that they didn't, it was like a backstop to say, Hey, like if the Ceph doesn't go out, here's, here's our second parachute. And I think, I think it was something like that, but I mean, just things like just random stuff. Like this is our procedures. Cause we've always been really big on procedures. I don't have to double check it that everybody has done their part. <laughs> I want to create ways that they just get done and I can be assured that the previous part was done. Cause there's so much in the dental office where we're so dependent on the previous step being done correctly. Like, I mean, it did, if the, if the insurance gets verified incorrectly, then the treatment plan's incorrect. Then the payment's incorrect. Then you, you got to take an EOB and you got to collect it. And you, now you got to balance. Now that's incorrect. Now the patient's pissed because you're incorrect. And it, all this stuff just trickles down just because that insurance wasn't put in correctly, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and there's so much like that in a dental office. So we've always been big on creating like things like that and trying to create these secondary, we call them backstops. Just in case it falls through the cracks, we'll catch it. And sometimes yeah. we don't, you know, but that's always a, a product of we drop the ball. Okay, guys, we dropped the ball. What happened? Talk to me about it. Let's not make anyone feel guilty. Let's not criticize each other. Let's just collaborate as a team and come up with a solution so that we can not do this again. I have coaching clients who are always like, dude, like, I can't believe you have problems like this. Your practice, my practice is just like everybody else's. It's never going to be without problems. I don't care how tight your systems are. We are humans and humans make mistakes and we Mm -hmm. forget things and we have emotions and, and those emotions affect our decisions and our behaviors. And it's a complex world. And yeah, there's always going to be us dropping the ball in some way, you know, it just happens. Yeah. How many days were you practicing before you sold? So before I sold, I was at three days a week. So I was doing three days a week. It should have been two days a week. And the one day was like my like, hey, let's lead. Let's talk with my teams. Let's train people day. But what was started happening was I was always getting booked on that day. The front desk would book mm-hmm. me because they knew I was going to be there. Like, hey, do you mind like just seeing this one patient? You're going to be here, right? It just take like 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it's I always love when the team's like, dude, just just come do this with me and just take like five minutes. I'm like, dude, yeah. I got 20 people that want to do something with me for five minutes. And you probably get it. You get people call, hey, can I pick your brain for 10 minutes? It's never 10 minutes. You know, it's always like an hour. So yeah. it's like, so um, I forgot what you, I, where was he going with this? What did you ask me? Like, How like, many totally days did you practice it? You said oh, three yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was, and I had that one day that it was still like, they would just book me. So they put one patient in there and then they'd see I was seeing a patient. So they put another one. So eventually I just stopped coming in on Monday. I said, hey, I'm done on Mondays. I'm not doing it. So then it was just two full days a week, which eventually got to two half days a week. And I think now I'm probably more like one and a half days a week. I take off like two or three weeks every month, but I, I'm not really practicing that much. I mean, last year, it, we, we would say a really highly productive dentist, like, man, if you could produce a million with your own hands. I think last year I did like 360,000. It wasn't a lot, but that's all I want to do. So that's cool with me. And now that I'm like partly paid as an associate with the DSO, some of my paychecks for every two weeks are pretty laughable. It's like, oh, well, you were two weeks, you made a hundred bucks. All right, cool. You know, it's like, cause, but I'm cool with that because I'll take time off and 
And I'm not, I'm not a producer anymore. I'm much more valuable to the practice as a leader and a trainer and just um, reaping the benefits of ownership. Even though I still own, that don't own 100%, I'm still reaping a lot of benefits from owning this large practice. Yeah. Okay, man. So you were practicing three days before. Now you're at two days a week, right? Like about two, two five-hour days. days. Two yeah. half days. Why did you sell them? You know, as you're looking at the dollars, you, it, there was always this fear of Delta for somebody. I mean, I have Delta's 35% of my practice. There was always this fear that my whole business model could change by the stroke of a pen. You know, we were 85% PPO, 15% cash, um, 35% Delta Premier PPO. And it was just like looking at the numbers, there's this consolidation happening in the industry. It's like things are hot. It's like we're, we're like where the housing market was like last summer, you know, it's like this is the time to sell if I can sell. So it was just looking at numbers, looking at what I have saved up, looking at what, and I've always been doing like real estate investing. So I've got some passive income on the side coming from there. And oh. you like, can I float with this? Yeah. I mean, could it be really lucrative? Yeah. I mean, it's been better than I ever thought it could be. I mean, one of the great things, I know I'm not doing a plug for, for MB2 by any means, but one of the great things is they let us to, they let us invest in the company and that's worked out really, really well. So I've actually made way more by selling than I would have keeping the ownership, if you can believe it. Now, is, is, are those returns going to be here five, 10 years from now? I don't know. This is hot because private equity really likes dentistry right now. But I can say there's a lot of ill feelings towards corporate. Um, with my corporation, I don't feel that. I don't think any of the members do. And I will tell you, I didn't lose a single team member during the transition. And for all intents and purposes, my team doesn't even know they exist. You know, it's, it's, it's still my practice. And I think that's kind of what they're... Not saying there's not some crappy ones out there that we should stay away from, but I'm really happy with the decision that I made with mine. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about MB2, actually. Like, where they, so what, what do they do? Are they just a DSO? Yeah, I mean, they call themselves a DPO, which is just, I think, just a way to brand themselves different from the DSO nastiness, uh, DPOP standing for partnership. And, um, you know, th th they just handle some stuff on the back end. They, they handle my insurance collections and that stuff like that. They do the credentialing, they do the HR, they do... Um, my marketing, um, they do pretty much anything I ask them for that they can help me admin backend wise, talking to the companies and, and getting increases in the fee schedule, stuff like that. But I mean, for, for the most part, I mean, I have a regional manager, her name's Annette, she's great. And she's just like, gosh, I, I just haven't been in your practice forever. I feel like you never want me to come there. Like, I want to do something for you. Like, what can I do? And I'm like, <laughs> we're good. We're totally good. So they're cool with like, they trust their partners to run the practices the way they, they want to, because they're very selective with who they partner with too. <laughs> um, and they just let us do what we want. You know, I'm, I'm still running it. It still feels like it's 100% my practice. I, I make all the decisions. If I need help, I reach out. If I don't want help, I don't. And for me, my practice was running pretty well, was pretty systematized already. Last thing I wanted was a corporation to come in here and tell me, tell us how to do things. My team would have hated me. So um, I, I found a group that would allow me to continue my autonomy and running the practice the way that I want to and take care of patients the way I want to. So, I mean, they're there for help, but I mean, for the most part, it's, we've just banded together and we get the benefits of being a group and we get the support that by no means are they the group that if you're like, dude, I can't do this anymore. I just want someone to come in and take over my practice and run it. That's not the group. You know, there's, a, there's other groups that'll do that. And I think I think that sounds really good, but you're probably going to be miserable. You sign up with a group like that. You're going to yeah. regret that. Yeah. So then you mainly kind of did it for, I mean, how long were you running this on your own, Nelson? Um, right about eight years. Eight years. Eight on years. My own. Okay. Yeah. 
Do you feel like it was at one point you were kind of like, I don't want the weight of the world right now on me as of for right now, at least maybe later on. But right now I don't kind of thing. Is that what it was? It was. Yeah, absolutely, man. It was it was just a heavy weight. That's the best way I could describe it. It was just always freaking there. And and there was and I've also done like life coaching and I've, I've always been a big fan of therapy and I've always been working with a therapist on and off for my, my whole maybe the past 15 years of my life. And um, it was just heavy, man. And it was just always there. And it was spilling over into other relationships where I was just kind of just grumpy, man. I was just overwhelmed and pissed off. And it just seemed like my whole entire as this practice grew from you know, just me and three other girls to like this 45 person team and other doctors and specialists and stuff. And I just felt like this house of cards is going to tip any moment. What is going to be the, what's going to be the Goldman Sachs of this practice? You know, like what, what's going to happen? And, um, I felt like that the whole time that I was the hundred percent owner that is. And so it's me, it's my thought process. It's my mindset. It's my makeup of my just general relationship with anxiety and how I look at things. But that can make me a very good leader and a very good business owner because I'm striving to try to get something that's going to make me feel better. But at the same time, it's also like a curse because I never get to really feel comfortable about it. So for me, it was, I just wanted that comfort. I wanted to feel comfort and it took, you know, some like things happen in my life, like read a certain book, like some like aha moments. Um, one of the books was like die with zero. I'm not sure if you read with that, but it kind of talked about how we like build this big nest egg so that we can just retire. When it's like, dude, we don't know how much time we have. And if you take any money to the grave with you, you essentially worked for that for free. That was free work you did because you never got to enjoy the fruits of that labor. So why the hell try to save everything and start trying to enjoy life now? Man, I can go hiking. I can climb mountains. I can do all this stuff. I might not be able to do that when I'm 50. I could play golf. Like I could play golf five days a week if I want right now. And um, Monday, my back might not allow me to do that. So why am I waiting until like to build this big thing before I can retire? So I've kind of entered into this almost like mini retirement phase where I would say like it's not retirement, but it's, it's, it's freedom. You know, it, it, it would be like the fire principles, I suppose. So it's like, dude, like, that's totally cool. Like, you're crazy. You're 39 years old. What the heck are you doing? Like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? I'm like, I don't know. I'd love to be a fireman, but apparently I'm too old for that. I guess you got to be like 30 or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to go do something different, you know, and uh, I don't know what that's going to be. And you know what? If it's really dentistry and I just love it and I want to own 100% practice, I go do it again. I'll do it faster. I'll do it better. And um, yeah, I'll do it better than I did it last time. You know, I, I'm comfortable with that, that I can do that. And then it, as a fail safe, I can always go back to for de- doing dentistry five days a week as an associate if I like. I mean, I can do whatever I can want. So, but, but I've got that comfort now. And I was always seeking that, which is, I think, is part of the motivation behind me reaching all these success points because I was trying to find something. And once I get that, it's going to feel good. It's going to feel different. It never did. I had everything I needed the whole time. It just had to get to the end to kind of realize that. Yeah. Do you think maybe kind of like you were thinking you were reaching something, but really you were kind of running away from something? Hmm. You know what I mean? Like maybe something in the past where you're like, I I never want to feel that feeling again. I never Hmm. want to get to that situation again. And you just kept running and running and running. Maybe? I, I think for me, I was running away from just a general sense of anxiety. And for me to stay busy at work felt good, you know, and, and be like, I like to say, man, I grinded these years, man, I grinded so hard. It wasn't a grind. I mean, it was hard, but it was like, I was drawn to it. I liked doing it. I didn't like sitting. I hate sitting to the detriment of my family. It was hard just to sit and just be. It was always like, man, I should get some more stuff done. What do I got to do? Like, what do I got to do this week? I should get it done so I, so I can relax. And then what would happen is I would get all the stuff done. 
I wouldn't relax. I'd be thinking about, man, what else can I do? And um, I just got myself really overbooked with, I mean, with the podcast, with the writing and uh, the practice and the real estate and doing like separate, like just teaching videos, coaching, consulting and stuff. I mean, I was just overbooked. It was like, I just wasn't comfortable sitting. And through therapy, through my life coach, my life coach really made a really big difference. And she even said, like, I took my coaching clients, I cut them down from 15 to five. And she said, what do you think about making a commitment for the next six months that you won't take on any projects? I said, sure, let's, let's do it. So we committed to it, but damn, it was hard because I started having all this time that I wasn't used to. I'm like, what do I do with this time? I'm like, I should start a project. Maybe I'll write another book. Maybe I'll do this. And I'm like, no, no more projects until six months from now. And through that process, it's almost like I discovered this part of myself that I was kind of not comfortable with was just doing nothing watching TV, just like sitting, putting my daughter to bed and, and laying in bed with her for like 45 minutes to an hour and just talking to her about her day, whereas I would be like, okay, I gotta get these kids to bed, I got stuff to do. Committing to a, a one, or one or two date nights with my wife every week, like as like a priority, like it's not like we can, if we can find time. And, and not to say that my relationships with my family was bad before, but man, it, it's night and day to how it is now. But I had to, it was uncomfortable at first to sit and just be idle. Because it felt, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like idleness. And I didn't like that. But then I had to start realizing, and then you connect and you're like, man, I really like this. This is okay. Like, I don't have to be running and, and rat racing my whole entire life. What the hell is it worth? And just looking at what are we doing this for? Like this, these deep, like spiritual, like conscious, like the spirituality of like, what are we here for? What, are, what, are, what is our purpose? What are we here to do? And so it was just, everything kind of happened in a succession, and I think it happened for a reason. I wish I could have skipped a lot of parts of it, but I don't think I would have came out to where I'm at if I did skip those parts. So it's like, if I could change things, I would have done them differently, but I wouldn't know what I know if I hadn't done things the way I did them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's true. Like, I remember I used to feel bad all the time about like relaxing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you go on social media and people are like, I'm hustling, I'm grinding and all these things. Yeah. And I, I feel like whenever you're not doing nothing, like when you're doing nothing kind of thing, that's when a lot of creativity can spark. But we live in a day and age where we call that boredom. And yeah. so we're like, oh, he's just bored. But we got to be good with that. We got to be good with feeling like we're not doing nothing for, you know what I mean? Like being in the moment kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, or else we're not, we're not, you can tell the world's not creative as much as it used to be, right? We're just like regurgitating stuff from the past and the past and the past. And because we can't, we feel guilty for relaxing, I guess, huh? Well, I'll, I'll tell you something I do. And this is going to sound like some like major, like old man stuff for people. But like, I got this recliner in my bedroom and, and people always come over and they say, why is this recliner not facing the TV? Because you can't see, you can't see the TV from the recliner. And it, it was like originally bought as like, I want to read in this chair. But you know, a lot of times like, dude, I just sit in that chair and it's right by a window, open the window, listen to birds. And I just sit, man. And sometimes I fall asleep and sometimes I don't. And it's just nice just to, it's relaxing, but it's, it's not me relaxing, watching something being distracted. It's me just sitting with my thoughts, just focusing on my breath. And just chilling out. And for me before, that would be like, dude, do something. Look at all this time you're wasting doing nothing. That's not a waste of time. That is for me. And that's what recharges me and makes me feel good. And I, I never realized it before. Mm-hmm. I like that, man. So then when did the second book come out? Like, was that out of uh, after six months or? And so you, you'll, you'll think, you'll, this is all tied together now where this book okay. came from. This, I wrote this during COVID. So this was me being home with nothing to do 24 hours a day <laughs> and being like, I got all this time. Let's write another book. 
And you know what, what I realized, my first book was kind of where I was at the time that I wrote it. And, and the books are, they're always written about two years before they come out. So the first book was about running an amazing practice. This book was about how I stepped out of the chair and what I noticed in my income as well, the growth, growth of the practice. When I started just like leading and training and like realizing that I'm more valuable as a trainer than I am as a producer, because there was a certain point where I looked at my practice and I said, okay, like if I treat myself as an associate and I pay myself 30% of my production, how much did I take home last year that was because I got paid 30% of my production? And it was like 15%. So the other 85% of my take home income was because I was an owner. But then I was spending 90% of my time doing production activities and maybe 10% doing ownership activities. So as much as my patients love me and they want to see me and the hygienists love working with me and everyone wants to work with Dr. Edge, I was way more valuable spreading my training and, and what I knew and helping other people grow at the practice. I was monetarily and for, for them too. Like, I mean, just being present and working with people. Um, I was more valuable doing that. It was much more uh, financially rewarding than it was me producing dentistry. And that kind of made me realize, man, I'm just, I just stopped doing fillings, eventually stopped doing crowns, stopped doing endo. And, and now all I do is I do band and bracket on kids and Invisalign. You know, that's pretty much my whole five and a half hour day. And then my other five hour day is just me doing like veneers and placing an implant or two. But I think next year, I only have maybe eight of those days that I booked for 2024. And so it's, I'm sorry, 2023. I think I only have eight of those days that I'm doing that. And the team might wrote me into doing some more, but I kind of don't want to. I just want I love doing ortho. Yeah, I just, uh, the other part is starting to wear on me. The ortho is predictable and everything else in dentistry to me is, it's, it's unpredictable. I mean, to some extent. And I just think I don't like that level of predictability or of unpredictability. I don't have that level of unpredictability with my team, you know, my mm -hmm. team. So it's doing what I enjoy doing. And it's what the practice needs. Every practice needs a person. I mean, if you could focus full time on running your practice, Man, what would your practice do? So that, that's the purpose of the book is like, how do we get ourselves out of the chair? And for me, it's a lot of leadership principles, such as like you owning everything, like your locus of control, I call it, um, balancing your, your regular workload with what I call acceleratory work, which is just like, this is the stuff, this is the investments in time. This is you training someone else to do something. It's your delegation. Just making sure that you've got a compass that's, that's guiding you, that every decision, little decision you make is taking you there. There's a lot of mindset stuff that I think is more important than the actual mechanics. The second half of the book talks about the mechanics of what I think are the best systems, the best things for treatment plan presentation, what things we can train our team on to make our practices better. But I think ultimately that beginning part of the book, that first half is what's really important. That's the leadership, that's communication. How do we deal with team? What kind of attitude do we approach conflict? What kind of attitude do we approach growth and, and collaboration? And, and that's kind of all in there because I think that's something I've learned. Maybe I had an inclination. I was kind of lucky that this came easy to me. But um, that's what I think has made the biggest difference in my practice. It's not the what, it's the how we've done it and, and, and the, the meaning behind it rather than the actual, this is what we did, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, I, instructions are always better, right? Like, give me the meat and potatoes of everything, not so much like the, nobody wants to fluff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of, of anything. But um, I think that's really interesting. When it comes to the marketing side of your practice mm -hmm. and um, your systems, how did that come along? For marketing specifically, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So for marketing, we used to try a lot of modalities. We would try like, I mean, we tried like the ads, the sponsorships and stuff like that. We still do some team sponsorships, but I would say 
We don't do mailers anymore. It's kind of just come into what I think is the most important is just SEO, your digital image, like your digital reputation and making sure that when people are searching you, that uh, you show up and that you have a nice website and uh, some nice media and pictures and, and videos on there to back it up. And then it's like, I mean, marketing, we're trying to generate a phone call. We've got to follow through by having nice patient experience on that end. But I think the majority of our patients come from either the internet or existing patients. Typically right now, we're seeing about 180 new patients a month. We've mm-hmm. seen, when we came six months after COVID, when we had a ton of availability, we saw like 230, which was a huge indicator to me that, man, we could really blow these doors open if we could find some more hygienists. But yeah, I haven't cracked that nut yet. I haven't figured that one out yet. I don't know where they all went. They all went, moved to some island or something. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I think the biggest thing is, is for us is digital. I mean, with pay-per-click, um, just Facebook stuff. And, you know, and I, I tell my coaching clients all the time, you'd be blown away how many new patients you could see if one, you stayed open late, or two, when you saw a new patient, you tried to get the rest of the family to book it when they came in there for a visit. And I can't tell you how many coaching clients just don't do that. And they're just like, man, like, we just started getting so many new patients because we just started asking. And it's not like you're asking like, hey, you got anybody looking, you know, anyone looking for a good dentist? It's not doing that. It's saying, hey, is anyone else in your family you want to make an appointment for? And then they'll say, oh, my husband, he's, he's busy. I'll have him call. Well, why don't we just make an appointment and he can call if it, when it gets closer. He'll get some reminder text if he needs to change it. Okay. You know, you just get him on the schedule and I'll be pushy. I mean, but um, that doesn't cost a cent. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just normal. It's just having a checkout protocol that your team follows and you just hold them accountable to it. Yeah, you're right. That's not being pushy. It's just like, it's being easy. Like, eh, let's just yeah. get them on the, you know what I mean? Like, get them on there right now. It's no, no, no issue. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Well, you got to make your point. I mean, I had to do... My cholesterol was high and my doctor wanted to put me on some cholesterol. I'm like, dude, man, I've been eating crappy. I'm drinking a lot. You know, give me two months to get this together and I'll come back and I'll get it straightened out. So I went back and I took blood and everything was straightened out, but it was like 18 months later. And he's like, he's like, I told you come back in two months. You waited a year and a half. I'm like, no, like, show me the chart. He's like, I'm like, dude, wow. I thought it was like five months, maybe. I knew I was behind, but you don't, you don't make that next appointment. You get lost. Life yeah. gets busy. Yeah, you know? life gets busy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you don't think it does, right? At all, but right. it does. Yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate you opening up a little bit, you know what I mean? Talking to us about how it's been going on, why the book came out, but at the same time, um, the the feelings behind selling, right? The motive behind it. Because I, I do I do agree with that. Sometimes we feel like, oh, we got to retire. And then you get a taste of it and you're like, I, I can't do this. I yeah. can't. Like, <laughs> so much Netflix you can watch, like you said, and, and all these other stuff. and do things on the side so there is a thing i think a sweet spot where it's like hybrid retiring or something like that right where you just mm-hmm. you're doing what you want making money but you can do this forever if you you know what i mean kind of thing yeah. I, do, I do agree with that that's where i think i'm at now like i'll tell you i where i'm at right now as we're recording this it's almost 3 p.m <laughs> and i woke up at seven o'clock i made my kids breakfast i got them off to school i went to bed from 8 a.m to about noon and people think that's crazy, but this is what I do every single day. I go to bed till about noon. And then I went and I worked out with a personal trainer. Came here, took a shower, and I'm spending it with you. And my kids are getting home from school. And this is this was my day. And this was a productive day because I got to do this with you. So this is I checked the box today, just by talking to you yeah. for an hour. So, so <laughs> but th- yeah, that's where I think I'm at. And um, and I have some days where I have a lot of coaching calls too that, that are more busy, but I'm I'm not doing more than four or five hours a day. That's, that's, I think that's a realistic level that I can do the rest of my life. And it's like that Bronnie Ware book, The Five Regrets of the Dying. 
One was that they worked too much. Two, I think, was that they didn't stay in touch with friends. I remember one that, one that stuck with me was I lived my life to every, other people's expectations instead of doing what I felt was in my heart. And I feel like that's what I'm doing now. And I think a lot of us just need to sit back and say, man, what do I really want out of life? Because if you sit down and you say, what do I want? And you say, well, how do I get that? Who has what I want? What do they do? It's just a matter of just following the steps and getting it done and just being kind of laser focused on this is what you want. And sometimes that's saying no to stuff and putting up boundaries. But, you know, you, you got to live life for you. And I think a lot of us don't do that. And I just kind of just where my new take is. And I, I don't want to give the impression I figured it all out. I mean, I, I'm just as messy as everybody else. But um, I, I like where I'm at. I'm excited for the next chapter. Yeah, I agree with that, man. It's crazy you say that not that long ago. You know how some people kind of talk about like, yeah, I want to build my legacy and I want to build like an empire for myself. And I remember talking about that and I was like, do one? Really <laughs> yeah. want to do that? Right. <laughs> right. I mean? Like it, it sounds cool. It sounds nice. And I, was, I would say that, but then I'm like, I think I just want to spend time with the people I want to spend time with and do what I want to do and whatever, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. I'd rather have that than being like, I grind and I build this empire, but like my kids hate me or something. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. And then they're going to go to college and they don't want to be around you. And they're like, Hey, kids, let's spend time now. Dude, I'm already growing up. You were there when I need you. It's funny, like, the things that we want, and I find myself doing it, too, because I'm very happy with my house, very happy with my cars, everything I own and stuff, and and I don't really see myself making more money to have more possessions. But then here comes my brother-in-law, just built a brand-new house, and, man, does it look awesome. And, man, do I want one. I'm just like, dude, uh, I really liked my house, but now I kind of like your house. <laughs> so, so now I'm like, well, maybe I do want more things. I'm like, I, have to, I have to check myself. Like, no, it's not going to change anything. It's, it's just going to, you'll, you'll eventually reach that baseline again. But uh, it's it's human to want, you know. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's just how we are. I think that's true. It's human to want, compare to, right? You're like, oh, man, that person's doing that. And we have, like, so much to, to social media, right? Like, you're always yeah. kind of, like, unwantingly, like, comparing kind of thing. So you just got, you're right. Have to check yourself, like nip it in the bud. Be like, nah, nah, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna do that, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. If anybody has questions, concerns, or wants more information on your coaching, where can they reach out to you? Yeah, dentalpracticeheroes.com. Um, the podcast is Dental Practice Heroes, but yeah, dentalpracticeheroes.com. It's got my books, my coaching, um, my teaching stuff, just some videos, business training stuff like that. So, and there's a contact form. You can contact me there. You can also go and schedule a call with me if you want or you can schedule a call with any of my leads. They're also available too. You can just schedule, use the online scheduler that's on the coaching tab. So um, yeah, man, Mike, thanks for having me, dude. I was I had a really good time talking. No, yeah, awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. And Paul, thank you for being with us. It's been a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon. All right, thanks. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Paul, it's a pleasure to have you. It's always a pleasure to have you, man. Guys, go check out his book. I'm going to put a link to his books. And uh, if you want to reach out to him, I'm going to put all that in the show notes below. And also at the same time, don't forget to check out the exclusive deal that our sponsors are giving you. It's going to be the first link in the show notes below. So go ahead and check that out. And at the same time, if you want to conversate with our guests on the podcast, um, have a deeper, you know what I mean? Maybe ask more questions in a more of an open forum, then you can join our free Facebook group, The Dental Marketer Society. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes below as well. Now, the quote from our book, the book is titled The Four by Scott Galloway. And the quote is, information wants to be expensive because it's so valuable. The right information in the right place can change your life. On the other hand, information wants to be free because the cost of getting it out 
is getting lower and lower each time. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.